morning, everybody. Glad that you're here. If I haven't met you, my name is Grant. I'm glad that uh, you decided to come to Christ the King this morning. So I ran a marathon with Pastor Bob Marvel from Cornwall many, many years ago. We actually ran our marathon in Las Vegas, Nevada. So we called our little adventure Pastors on the Run in Sin City. And it was an amazing time together. Marathons are an interesting study between psychology and physiology. And I remember getting to about mile 21 and every single part of my body just hurt. I mean, my body was sending a message to my brain that was basically basically saying, we're done. You can stop now. Just go and sit by the side of the road because my feet were hurting. My legs were hurting. My hips were hurting. My back was hurting. My lungs were hurting. My heart was hurting. My teeth were hurting. My scalp was hurting. I mean, everything was hurting. And honestly, if it wasn't for Bob, who had a lot of experience in marathons, about mile 21, 22, I just would have sat on the side of the road, found a cell phone and ordered a pizza. I mean, that's exactly kind of how I felt in that moment. But I remember As we were running towards the end of the marathon, an inordinate number of people were passing us, which just because we were slowing down and they were keeping their pace. And I remember a lady who ran past me. And the reason she sticks out in my memory is because of what she was doing. As she was running along, she was saying a word with every stride that she was running. And she was saying, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And that's how she was keeping her pace. And I looked at that and kind of went, it's working for her. So I'm like, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. This really hurts. I want to quit. I can do all things through Christ. And we just began to run as we headed towards the end of the finish line. And that's the verse that we're going to tackle as we look at the next verse in our series of Out of Context. Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength, or some variation of that, depending on what version of Scripture you're reading. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Now, the goal of this series is to forever change our understanding of Scripture. So I want to say it again. I said it last week. I want to make sure I repeat it. My goal is not to steal your favorite verse, okay? In fact, I'd love to take a verse that's precious to you and make it more precious when you understand the context in which God originally put it because we don't want to be the kind of followers that select a piece of scripture, pull it out, allow it to stand on its own and then build an entire theology around it because sometimes that leads us completely in the wrong direction. God put it in a certain place, surrounded by a certain context in order to protect us. We don't want to fall victim to proof texting we talked about last week. I mean, I used kind of a lame example of it But, I mean, it kind of goes, right? There is a a passage in Scripture where Jesus says to his followers, go and find a donkey and bring it back to me. But that doesn't mean we're supposed to spend our lives dragging small animals into the church thinking that that's God's purpose. It's not how it works, if you understand the context. So let's take a look at Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And let me list off some incorrect and out-of-context assumptions about this verse. Verse. I did kind of a survey this week, just talking to people about where they have seen it and where they heard it the most. And I chuckled when I, but this came up over and over again, okay? People read Philippians 4.13 and they believe that this is a verse for athletes and rappers, okay? <laughs> Let me just unpack that for you, okay? Where do we hear this verse the most? We hear it after a World Series or after a Super Bowl when a large muscled man 
you know, will testify, the reason we did this is because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We see it on Christian athletic wear. We see it on posters. We see it on bumper stickers. We'll see it over top of the finish line in a marathon. I mean, it's often quoted by somebody who has excelled in athletics, has gone to an entirely different level, and they attribute the reason they got to that level is because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I also ran into it the other night. Uh, just flipping channels, watching television, and happened upon a channel. It was one of those uh, music awards shows, and they were handing out an award for performance of the year to a certain rapper who kind of walked up to the microphone and said, yo, yo, you know, and I've always wanted to say that, right? Because <laughs> it so doesn't fit me, right? <laughs> but it's like, yo, yo, and then he pushed his chains out of the way because they're banging on the microphone, right? And he says, I want to thank God. You know, and they all want to thank God, don't they? I want to thank God. And then he said, this album is proof that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I should have left it alone, okay? But I Googled him and the lyrics to his album. So apparently he believes that God gave him the strength to talk about God's daughters in a way and with words that we don't use in church. That's all I'm going to say about that, okay? And I'm looking at that going, how does that go together? Like, what? So you can label one of God's daughters with unbelievably derogatory and sexual terminology, but you actually think God gave you the strength to do that? It didn't go together, right? Some people read this verse and they believe it to mean that following Jesus comes with a side of superpowers, right? You know, it's like, I can do all things, right? I have a verse. It says, I can do anything I want to. I can dunk in the name of Jesus. I'm like, no, you can't. You're 5'3", right? You're 5'3". Maybe a trampoline and lowering the hoop, that might work for you, but the bottom line is you're never going to dunk, ever. I don't care how much you profess that verse to mean that, right? And some of you are like, whoa, 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 Grant, I thought God can do anything. That's true. God can do anything as long as it brings Him glory. We need to understand that, right? This verse is often used by folks that I would consider to be what I call positive confessionists. Okay, I'm not talking about people exercising genuine faith. I'm talking people who believe that they can name something but not have to do any action to back it up, right? And they take that verse to mean, I am limitless. I'm limitless. I'm unstoppable. I'm a force. I'm a maverick. I am limitless. I'm God's mouthpiece. Let's stop there for a second. That could all be true. Let me ask this. Are you limitless when it comes to being a servant? Are you slow to speak, quick to listen, slow to become angry? Are you limitless in those areas? Are you limitless when it comes to love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control? Because that's in the Bible too. So, if this verse is not reserved for athletes and rappers... If it's not reserved for the X-Men or the Justice League, okay, or it's not just solely for the positive confession crowd, where does it fit in the regular part of our lives as normal, regular people in Whatcom County in 2014? Well, let's find that in the context of the verse, okay? If you were here last week, all of these contextual clues uh, should ring a bell because we actually unpacked all of them. So let's start with the context of the author, okay? The author's the Apostle Paul. I told you last week, he's a former hitman. He killed Christians recreationally 
and religiously. That's what drove him. He actually thought he was doing the world a favor by eradicating this newfound upstart group that were following a radical, itinerant, homeless Jewish rabbi by the name of Jesus. And then he has an encounter with the resurrected Jesus after he has been crucified, comes back to life again, and he's transformed into the greatest missionary that the world has ever known. So that's the context of the author's story, okay? And it's so important to understand this. Philippians 4.13 was written by a transformed man while he's chained to a wall in a prison in Rome. It's a big deal, right? And he's in prison because he becomes a follower of Jesus and the very people that he was trying to kill and eradicate, he's now one of them. Kind of changes it, right? He's chained to a wall, so he's not running anywhere. I guess that takes care of the athletics piece. He can't melt his chains with x-ray vision. I guess that takes care of the superpower piece, right? And he can think good thoughts all he wants to. The reality is he's still in prison. He lost his freedom. And the truth of that day was that once you went into a Roman prison, you rarely, rarely came out alive. If the way they treated you didn't kill you, the disease and the infection that you ran into in that prison would. And Paul steps into this moment in the context of Philippians chapter 4. And through the power of the Holy Spirit writes, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Which means for him, I can endure isolation. I can survive cold and bitter nights alone. I can stay committed to the faith even though it appears that my life has gone completely off the rails. I can stay away from bitterness because life doesn't seem fair right now. In fact, he would even come to the place where he could say, I would even be content with dying because for me, to live is Christ and die is gain. Paul wrote those words too. Let's look at the context of the audience, right? The people who are reading this letter were known as the church at Philippi in the nation of Greece. They were a group of people that had been placed strategically on the economic gateway between Europe and Asia. And it was an unbelievably powerful place that they were in, but they were under intense pressure. Pressure from Rome to become Romans, pressure from the Jews in that area to embrace and come back to their Jewish faith, their original Jewish faith. They were getting pressed in on both sides and both groups were trying to strangle the life out of this new group of believers that were called the way. Christians, little Christs. It gives us a clue about the cultural context, right? The context is Roman colonization. Pastor Mike, first week of the series, he did an amazing job of unpacking that that idea of judgment and where it comes from. And he actually tipped his hand to this context because he said this about the Philippian church. It was important. In the first century, Rome ruled the world. They established roadways for transportation. They had coins and currency that had inscriptions on it that said, Caesar is Lord. They were the superpower of the world. And they would send out soldiers from Rome to take over the land hundreds and thousands of miles away. And the soldiers would live there and take up residency. And they carried one message, become a citizen of Rome. And their goal was not to go back to Rome. Their goal was to take Rome to people. The culture, the philosophy, the ideals of Roman culture, they were there to colonize Philippi. And that's where we find this little church. And Paul shows up 
chained to a wall in Rome, writes a letter to this little church in Philippi and reminds them of something. You are not Roman citizens. You are citizens of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And you are to bring God's beauty and his grace and his love to Philippi. And that message echoes today to everyone sitting in this room. If you are a follower of Christ, you are here to bring God's beauty and grace and love and salvation to the people of Whatcom County in Bellingham. That's why we're here. And he says to them, this is going to be hard. You know why it's going to be hard? Because I want you to do it with joy. In fact, that's the contextual theme of Philippians all the way through the book. It's all about joy. He keeps saying it over and over and over again. Joy in suffering, joy in serving, joy in believing, joy in giving. And that brings us to the section where we find Philippians 4.13. Here's the context of the conversation, okay? Here's what Paul is talking about here. It's not athletic endeavor. It's not about superpowers. It's not about everything that you can do. The context of the conversation is actually about contentment. It's like, what? It's about contentment. So let's eavesdrop just for a second. Philippians chapter 4, starting in verse 10. I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you, so Paul talking to the Philippians, that you've renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content Whatever the circumstances, underline those words. I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. If you have ever complained in your life about a situation one time, you have never learned what it is to be content in whatever circumstances. I cannot make that claim. I can whine and complain with the best of them. Verse 12, I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, and that's where it drops. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Not a single mention of athletics at all. So get the picture, okay? Let's make sure we understand this. Paul's in prison, and yet as he sits down to write this letter, he basically says, I don't, I don't have any needs, I'm good. I'm good. I have everything that I need. I know what it's like to have a lot. Been there, done that. I know what it's like to have a little. That's what I'm experiencing right now. I've learned in that, in the tension of those two things, the secret of being content. No matter what situation I'm in, I have found a way to be content and I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. The context changes everything. So what is the world does that have to do with us? Well, let's just have an honest conversation, okay? Can we admit as a culture we are not content? <laughs> I mean, we're just not content, right? Our culture wages war against contentment with this constant pull to have to go after more, right? We want the holy grail of more. It, it happens all the time, right? The world will send you this message. If you just have that, then you'll be content. If you have that thing... That will fill the hole in your soul. If you just have an iPhone 11, oh, it's all good. Until the 12 drops, right? Oh, no, if I just have that, then it's going to be good. If you have a 2016 model of that truck, even though you've got a perfectly good 2014 sitting in your driveway, 
It's just like, you no, know, if you just have that with that little extra and that little extra and that, if you just have more, then you're going to learn to be content. If you have more of this and more of that, that's what's going to fill the hole in your soul. Then you'll be content, which is hilarious because the very definition of contentment comes from the basic idea that you've learned to be okay with what it is that God's already given you. Right? But the world just keeps picking away at it, right? They're just like, no, 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 no. don't settle. Don't stop. Keep going. Get more. Biggest pile of stuff wins. And we respond, oh, okay, I get it. Feed me more. That's where God drops Philippians 4.13. It's like, wow, that's interesting. So can I ask a question? This question's got me in a lot of trouble all weekend long. Let's keep doing that. Okay, so here's my question. Could it be that the moment when our contentment is being challenged is the moment when we need God's strength the most? Let that settle in just for a second. Could it be that the moment when our contentment is being challenged is the moment when we need God's strength the most? Because that's the context of Philippians 4.13. You know, we've taken it and placed it in all of these different areas, but that's where God stuck it. So some of you are wondering, so can I still say this when I'm out running and really tired? Sure. You could, as long as you remember this. This is not a self-help verse. This is a die-to-self verse. Let me say that again. This is not a self-help verse. This is a die-to-self verse. And I would love to have the context challenge all of us to incorporate it in the most improbable place that Scripture actually suggests. So, some of you are going to have the opportunity to do something at the end of the year. You're going to get to go to a car lot and you're going to have to make a decision. Because that shiny, brand spanking new, beautiful, chrome-wheeled 2016 model is sitting there and it's calling your name, right? It's like you would look so good if you're driving that. And then you turn around and look at what you drove to that lot in and you're in a place of tension. Culture's pulling you one direction and yet you know in your heart. That works. It's good. It was a gift from God, even if it's got 150,000 miles on it. And I should be thankful that I have that. And I have an opportunity. I could push all of my resources towards that direction. Or possibly, I could be thankful for what I already have and then make a really, really hard decision about the fact that I may actually free up other opportunities to bless somebody else if I just make that decision. My wonder is this. As we are pulled in those two directions, knowing that this is the context, is that the moment when we would be open to the Holy Spirit tapping us on the shoulder and saying, come on, Grant, say it. Say Philippians 4.13 now. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do all things. That's the context. All three services, after I said that, it got really, really, really quiet. Can you stay in that tension with me for a second? Can you stay there? Because it's going to happen this week, right? Some of us are living for Thursday. Big bird, big meal, 
family. It's going to be awesome. By the way, I love that bird. Just saying, okay? But then there's that day after or the day of, depending on where they're putting the schedules these days, right? And we're going to go. And, and, and in the search for this great, amazing deal, we're going to have our wish list in this hand and our financial reality in the other hand. And we're going to have to make a decision. Am I going to lay away? Am I going to leverage myself beyond a point of responsibility? Am I going to just pursue more, more, more? Because if I just have that, then that's going to make me happy inside of my own soul. Even though this is my actual reality in that moment, understanding that I'm simply a steward of everything that God has given me. As I stand there in the tension of both of those being pulled in this direction and pulled in that that direction, my question is this. In that moment, when I'm trying to decide on priorities and boundaries, is that the moment when I will say, Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Which includes saying no to something that may be good and saying yes to something that may be God. In the moment when our contentment is challenged, would we be so crazy as to welcome the Holy Spirit of God into our heart in that moment and forever change our understanding. Let's keep going. Verse 14. Yet it was good of you to share my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set up for Macedonia, not one church shared with me in this matter of giving and receiving, except you. For when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Verse 17. Not that I desire your gifts. It's not about cash. What I desire is that more may be credited to your account. When we step into the tension of being pulled in so many different directions, Paul is saying, I want you to understand something. It's not about your savings account. It's about your eternal account. Choose eternity. Verse 18, I've received full payment and have more than enough amply supplied now that I've received from Epaphroditus the gifts that you sent. They're a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. Verse 19, and my God will meet all of your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. And all God's people said, amen. There it is right there. Verse 19, you see that? Verse 19 and verse 13 are tied together. My God will meet all of your needs according to the riches of His glory in Christ Jesus. Paul actually talked in this context about the secret to finding contentment. Unlocking the secret. Okay? Not the secret you're thinking about with the Oprah book club. It's not what I'm talking about, okay? The secret to actually finding contentment. Would you like to know that? Would you like to walk out of here with the secret of finding contentment? Because it's found right there in Philippians 4.19, right? And my God will meet all of your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. That's it right there. So let's break it down. Okay, let's break it down. Contentment is found in the miracle of God's provision. 
The Bible says, my God will meet. He's the source of contentment, understanding that everything that comes from him creates contentment inside of our heart because it's undefiled. It's completely pure. The Bible says that every good gift comes down from the Father of lights, which means we are simply holders of everything that God has poured into our hands, some with a little and some with a lot. Why does God decide the way he does? I have absolutely no idea, but I know it's the source That creates contentment inside of my heart. So it's the miracle of God's provision. And that's the only place we find true satisfaction. Because I don't know if you know this, but everything else just breaks down and falls away. Except for Jesus, who is unchanged, unwavering, perfect in satisfaction, and gives us the ability to actually choose to be content no matter what we have or don't have. Secondly, it's the measure of God's provision. I mean, it doesn't say that he will meet some of our needs. It doesn't even say he'll meet 22% of your needs. What's the word he puts in front of the little phrase, your needs? All of them. All of your needs. So to what scope can God actually provide? He can provide everything, everything that you need. Now, can we just admit that we have a broken picker when it comes between wants and needs? I mean, I don't know about you guys, but I want everything. Right? I walk around, I just walk through the mall, I'm like, I want that, and I want that, and I want that, and I want that, and I want that. And you know, and I even I want them for other people, right? I want that for my wife, I want that for my wife, I want that for my daughter, I want that for my son. I mean, I want, I want, I want, I want, I want. Do you notice that it doesn't say he will meet all of your wants? Let's make a bold statement. If you actually got everything you wanted, let me put it this way. God loves you too much to give you everything you want. And if you need some perspective on that, read the book of Ecclesiastes written by the man Solomon who was the most prosperous human being in world history. You know what his summary statement was after he had everything? He said, it's all meaningless. It's just empty. Why are we chasing it? It's the measure of God's provision. He'll meet all of your needs. Let's keep going. Contentment is found in the might of God's provision. It says, according to his riches. God's provision is not connected to my riches or my material wealth. It's connected in his riches, and he disperses them as he wills. And I want to remind you of something. If you look at the context of the entire Bible, this statement keeps being made over and over and over and over and over again. It's so unbelievably rich. It says God is rich in grace. Do you know why you are here and breathing today? Because God is rich in grace we should probably say, you're welcome, right? We should probably say, thank you, God. I understand that you are the giver of good things in life. It says you're rich in grace, rich in love. That cross is a beautiful picture of how rich in love God is. Rich to the point of giving his own son on a cross so that we could experience the lavishness of his love. Rich in mercy, rich in kindness, rich in joy. 
Contentment is found in understanding that when God is rich that way, when we choose to be rich that way, we find something is unlocked in our soul. Contentment. And here's the last piece. It's the means of God's provision. And the means is simple. In Christ Jesus. How did God provide everything that we needed? Through Christ Jesus. Through a Savior who came and said, out of the richness of my relationship with my Father, I'm going to choose to build a bridge between you and I, even though sin had severed that relationship. I choose to be rich, and I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to lavish my richness on you because you, you are the precious child that I care about more than anything. You know, I've learned something in following Jesus for all these years. When I truly have Jesus, I don't want for anything. Everything else is it's just icing, right? I need nothing. And I don't have to just be pursuing something more, this insatiable appetite, because I am truly content. I'm not always satisfied. But I'm learning to be content. Contentment is unlocked when we understand that contentment is found in that relationship with Jesus. So I got to ask you the question, because it would just be crazy if I didn't. Do you know that Jesus? Do you have a personal relationship with that Jesus? who loves you so much that even in those moments when you are being pulled subtly in two different directions, that he would unleash heaven in that moment and tap you on the shoulder and whisper into your ear, I gave you a tool, I gave you a gift. Come on, Grant, say it. When your citizenship is being torn in two different directions, when you're being called to take a knee in front of the God of wealth, Instead, to stand and say, the only one I will take a knee to is the Christ who saved my soul. So in this moment, as I'm being pulled in two directions, I will say out loud, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Do you know that Christ? The God of Thanksgiving. The God of Christmas. The God of the incarnation, the God who loves his children so much that he made a promise. I will supply all of your needs. Not all your wants, but I will take care of your needs. Sometimes in the most amazing ways. But as you have to deal with all of that stuff, I'm going to give you a gift. When your contentment is being challenged, you can whisper or shout. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Would you pray with me this morning? God, this is really challenging stuff. In fact, it really presses in on us. Because Lord, we know this coming week <laughs> we're going to be challenged. 
Lord, I pray that the people of Christ the King would be so unbelievably thankful. Thankful for the word. Thankful for the context. Thankful for the joy and the hope. Thankful for the strength that you give us. Lord, I pray this week as we are, as we are challenged that we would choose the godly answer. That we would speak the word of God out loud when we are feeling our contentment is being challenged. That we would fully understand this is not about settling. It's about desiring the best. So in that moment, may we choose what your voice calls us to as we fortify our souls with these beautiful words. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Father, I pray for anyone here who doesn't know Jesus. Lord, I pray that they would know he's the source of true contentment. He's the giver of every good gift and the gift that he has offered to us that we celebrate all year long, but especially between Thanksgiving and Christmas, is the gift of his son who was salvation for us. So God, I pray over my spiritual family here. And I pray for those who have deep questions about Christ. I pray that today they would begin a relationship with you. That they would confess with their mouth and believe in their heart that Jesus died on a cross, that he took all of our sin, that he was dead for three days, and after three days he rose triumphant came back to life so that we might see that he's rich in grace, rich in love, rich in mercy. Lord, I pray today would be the day of their salvation. Lord, I thank you for an opportunity to be thankful this week. May our thanks not be limited to a day. May our gratitude flow out of our heart. And may we hold to the beautiful gift that you've given to us. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. And we pray these things in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, Amen.